Good evening, everyone. It's really nice to see you. I'm Nigel, if you don't know me, and a big hello to anyone watching online, whether you're with us right now or catching up in a bit, then great to have you with us. Shout out to our global partners who are tuning in. We love you guys. So this is what we're doing. We've been in a series looking at power, and tonight we're going to be looking at a particular aspect of power. And I don't know how you've been finding it so far, whether, you, whether you're into the power thing or not. Is power good or bad? That's one of the questions. You know, for some people, I think power can be quite sort of terrifying or not a positive thing in your life. There's a little slide here. It really depends who, who's wielding the power of whether it's good or bad or not. You see, it depends who's got it. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. And how we handle power is something that we're looking at in this series, how we understand power. Power is the ability to influence, to make things happen, to influence others. And actually for many people, the people's experience of power just in the world has been mixed. You know, if it wasn't for power, we'd be in sitting in darkness right now and you, because the microphone wouldn't be working. We, we need power to do things. But we also recognize that power if unless there's accountability, transparency, unless there's protection, then power can actually damage as well as bring, um, bring benefits. And that's just normal power. In church, we're talking about spiritual power, the power of God. That can be even more terrifying. Not just generally powerful people or powerful things, but God himself, the all-powerful one. Actually, for some people, that can be really difficult to even begin to get close to God, this thought of the very powerful God, creative, cosmic, ultimate, trying to relate to something that powerful. But as Dave said, we recognize as Christians that there is a power, it's God's power at work, but it's not any power, it's, it's, it's held within love. The Bible encourages us as followers of Jesus, to follow the way of love. In fact, love is the thing that protects and allows power to work, the power of God to be at work in the world. So tonight, I want to reflect with you um, about power and weakness, power and vulnerability. Now, they seem opposite ends of the spectrum. Power on one side, power. And then right at the other end, being weak. And without power, being vulnerable, not being able to do anything, not being able to influence. And, and why are we putting those together? Why do we think they have a kind of place together? Are they just at opposite ends, opposite extremes? Or actually, is there something about them where actually something to do with weakness, in fact, is key for the power of God to be at work? That's what we're going to be looking at and unpacking. Do you feel powerful? Do you feel that you're a powerful person? I go to the gym. And in the gym, you get little routines. You do your upper body workout, your arms and stuff. And you do your lower body, you do your legs. And then you do your middle body bit, the core. Trust me, that is what you're supposed to do. Thing is, I've not been designed for upper body strength. That is not my speciality. But neither is the lower body strength bit or the middle body strength bit. I just don't seem to be cut out for any of that because whenever I try any of the gym stuff, it's really heavy. And there are people that are genuinely terrifying in the amount that they can lift and grunt and, and do stuff. And I just can't do it. I just don't think I'm cut out for it. I don't feel very powerful. 
or strong. I'm trying my best. Do you feel powerful or do you feel weak? Claire Thompson told me once in a strong voice, Nigel, you are a powerful person. At a time where I was particularly feeling not very powerful. <laughs> I am a powerful person, Claire. Okay, am I? I didn't feel it. I don't feel powerful most of the time. In fact, if I'm honest, I probably feel more on the weaker end of things most of the time. This morning in our 9.15 service, we were having communion. And I, I invited people to come to the table to take bread and wine. And I said this. I said, the reason is this week I've lost my temper with people close to me. I've shouted at people. I've been unkind. I've been really selfish. I've been just putting my own needs above others. Um, I've had lustful thoughts. I've been tempted. I've struggled with things. I've been tired. I've been grouchy. I've not been pleasant to be around. And that's just this week. And you'll probably had a similar week. And that's why the invitation was, come to Jesus. He doesn't condemn you, but says, I forgive you. I hear what you're doing. Let me restore you and renew you. We're going to have a chance that tonight to offer prayer. I'm saying that just to make the point that I'm a normal, weak kind of human that goes around very aware of my limitations and fallibilities. And yet I'm kind of doing my best to love God in all of that. So we're looking at power and vulnerability. You can feel physically weak, but you can also feel weak in all sorts of ways. Whether that's in your kind of intelligence, your capacity, your upbringing, your background, there can be all sorts of things spiritually, relationally that make us feel, well, just weak. So do you feel powerful? Are you a powerful person? Now, I agree with Claire, by the way. I think God wants us to have authority, to live out our authority in Jesus and to be a force for good, to wield power, kingdom power, to love people deeply and profoundly, to see things happen. I totally believe in that. But I'm just making the point, this weakness thing is maybe something that a lot of us can be aware of in our lives. So power and weakness, how does it work? Well, there's a worldly power. You know the worldly power kind of thing. We've had Wimbledon going on, even right now perhaps. The strongest wins. If you're just stronger and more powerful, you can knock out the other person. And on it goes. The world seems to work like that, of, of power and stronger is better and bigger. We, we know what those power structures are like. We see it working all the time, whether it's in relationships, institutions, politics. Power is a thing the world loves to drive after and get hold of. But there's another story. There's the kingdom story. This is how God works. The kingdom of God is how the Bible describes it. And the kingdom of God has a very different view on power, on how power works. We've already been talking about it in this series. It's an upside-down way. It's a way of looking at power in a very different way. And the person who most demonstrates that to us is Jesus. Jesus is, turns up in the world fully God, fully man. And we read about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of his life. And we're going to read just a little excerpt of something describing what Jesus is like from the book of Philippians. This is a letter in the New Testament. And actually, this is kind of a hymn, a poem about Jesus. We're going to just read this together. And it describes something about how Jesus holds power. Let's read it together. 
in your relationships with one another. This is the letter to the church. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What that's describing is that Jesus has not only become human, but become a servant. And in doing so, humbled himself, became vulnerable, even to the point of then being put to death on a cross. That's a power that, well, just doesn't seem worldly at all. The Romans who killed Jesus destroyed him with power because they were in power. They had an army, and that's how they would rule, by dominating and destroying their enemies. And that's what happened to Jesus. He was killed on a cross. But something happened, actually, by God displaying his love for the world through Jesus on the cross. It displayed a different kind of power. A power actually to break death and sin itself. A power to have victory over sin and darkness and all that's against the world, all that's against humans, all that's against God. Actually, has an amazing victory as Jesus went to the cross and died. And this is a theme that is picked up by Paul. Paul is someone we read about in the New Testament who started lots of churches. And a particular church that he writes to is a church in Corinth. And we're going to read a couple of things that he's saying to writing to the church in Corinth. And in doing so, he's picking up on this theme of Jesus dying on the cross. And somehow in doing so, looking vulnerable like, okay, he's been killed, he's dead, he's not a problem anymore. That actually God worked through that to do something incredible. So let's read these passages from Corinthians. This is the first one that starts in 1 Corinthians. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, Gentiles but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He goes on to say, and so it is with me, Paul, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, when he visited them, I didn't come to you with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He goes on to write another letter in 2 Corinthians. He says this, In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So just pulling out those themes that Paul is talking about as he's writing to the church. He's making a couple of points saying, look at Jesus who seems foolish to everyone. And yet this is the power and wisdom of God displayed through the very vulnerable act of being killed, actually brought God's kingdom here on earth. And Paul himself is then saying, actually, as I've been with you, actually, I've been here in weakness. I'm not a big, super high-flying kind of churchy guy. In fact, the opposite. I don't have clever words. I don't know how to do it all. Actually, what I want to see is a demonstration of the Spirit's power in my weakness. And that's what he goes on to say, this idea of a thorn in his flesh, something that's held him back, something that's caused him trouble, is actually the very thing God has used. And in doing so in Paul's ministry, where he feels weak, that's when he knows then God's power is resting on him. So I want to ask this question, why has God set this up? Why does this seem such a thing, an upside down thing? Jesus actually was asked by his disciples. Um, they had this kind of conversation, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the most powerful, Jesus? Um, and they had a bit of an argument about it. We read it in three of the Gospels. And it's all given the same answer. Jesus kind of tells them off and says, well, first of all, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. You've got to be a servant. Again, as we read that in that Philippians passage, that Jesus was a servant. But then he does this. He takes someone, takes a child, and every account says this. He brings a child to him and says, if you really want to be great, then you need to be like a child if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Why did he bring a child into the mix? Well, we're going to look at it now. And I think there's some reasons to it, just as Paul has talked about it. Why does weakness demonstrate the power of God? Why is Paul so happy to even say that he's been weak in order to demonstrate the power of God? I've got three boys. I know what it's like having kids. First thing is they're very needy. That's right. They can't seem to do anything themselves. They always want to ask mum, first of all. And then when mum doesn't deal with it, then they come to dad and ask exactly the same thing. But I fall for it because I didn't realize that mum had already said no. And because I'm kind and loving, I say yes. And then they get into trouble and I get into trouble when we then find out what the right answer should have been if I'd only thought about it. Yet children are needy. And this is the thing that weakness does. And Paul is talking about this. I am weak because I am needy. Do you think you're needy? Actually, Paul is completely dependent on God. This is why he's saying, actually, in my weakness, I'm dependent on God. Don't think it's any other way. It's not my human power or incredible intellect. In fact, he had an incredible upbringing, background and intellect, but he didn't claim that. He said, actually, I'm weak, so I can depend on God. Dependence is a key part of what it means to move in power. And Paul realizes that by being weak, by being vulnerable, he's dependent on God. He's saying, God, if this isn't you, then it's not going to happen. God, it can't be me. It has to be you. God, I'm weak. I can't do this. You have to do it. Power comes not through weakness itself, but it's because of dependence on God. We know we're weak, and therefore we lean on God. For many of us in the church, we lack power because we're not dependent on God. We're too self-sufficient. We're, I'm all right. I'm fine. Thank you. My kids spend a long time saying, I don't need any help. I can do this. And then I stand and wait, knowing what's going to happen, that they can't do it. 
but I have to wait and wait and wait until eventually they get annoyed that they can't do it and then they ask me for help, of which I graciously say, oh, about time, come on. The point is this. Weakness means that we recognize that we're dependent on God. Paul says it, in order to stop me being conceited, to keep me humble, I needed this. Something that God did weirdly in his grace for me that meant that actually I'm weak, but because I'm weak, I'm strong. I've recognized that I'm dependent on God. I need it so that God's power rests on me. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. Don't be fooled. I didn't want you to think it was all about me. Actually, you didn't think much of me at all. So when the spirits came, your faith was in God, not in me. It's the demonstration of the spirit's power. Dependency is really important when we recognize we're weak. The second thing is it demonstrates God's power. God has set it up like this, that somehow through weakness, through vulnerability, his power is demonstrated. Example, Jesus on the cross. That doesn't look a very impressive thing to do as a Messiah. It's not the woohoo, I've won kind of outcome that many people were expecting in Israel. And yet it's a witness, it's a display, a demonstration of the power. This is what Paul again says in Corinthians. I want to display God's power and in doing so my weakness demonstrates the Spirit's power. Again, it puts the focus on God, not on us. It displays something of the glory, the wonder, the mystery of the power of God. It doesn't work in human ways and it never will. We can't coerce it around that way. If we just got better at it, it's not like that. It's a weakness, it's a dependence, but also it demonstrates God's power. Another thing that it shows is, is a desperation. I think we need to be desperate for God. And many of us aren't. Actually, the desperation comes when we recognize we don't have what is needed and we can't change things. One of the roles that I have in being a pastor here in the church is I walk with people who are really ill and really in trouble. And I pray a lot more than I probably would if I wasn't doing that. And the reason is I love them and it's desperate. Like there isn't an easy solution when someone's got terminal illness, when someone's in incredible distress. You think, God, you have to move because I don't know what else to do. I know I don't have it in me. I'm weak. I'm not an expert. I can't fix things and solve things. But I can say, God, would your power be at work? Are we desperate enough for things? I'm not a big kind of revival talker. I don't know if you've noticed that. But I do get it that revival will happen, the move of God, because people are desperate. Whereas with power, you need to insulate it with love. But maybe we've become insulated away from the things that would move us to be desperate. Maybe we've become too comfortable and easy with it. And I know in a way that's an easy thing to say to the church in this country. I get it. I'm not, I'm not kind of beating us with a stick. I'm just making the point. Desperation is often something that drives weakness. You recognize that you're weak. I know lots of people, friends of mine, who have left the church over the years. They've deconstructed their faith. They've pulled it all apart. And do you know what I really think? I think they're just bored. I think they're bored of church services. And to be honest, I don't blame them. Because if being a Christian is just sitting in church on a Sunday, that is really boring. That won't do it long term. That won't, that won't keep you going. It's brilliant though the preaching or the worship might be. 
the point of God's power is to rest on you in order for things to happen, to do stuff. And yet, if we lose that, if we lose a sense of power, either in your life or through your life into the lives of others, then Christianity becomes really boring, dull, religious, just a thing you do. But I don't think it's meant to be like that. So part of how God set it up is that actually the weakness thing displays the power of God. It's an upside-down way of the kingdom. It calls out dependency in us. It, it calls out something of a, a desperation. It, it demonstrates something of how God works in the world through weak things. As Dave kindly said, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I'm on the weak side. I've got some objections for you. Objection number one. Don't think I could do all this power, spirit power stuff. Because I don't know enough. You think that in your weakness? I just don't know enough. Don't know any theology. Don't know enough of that stuff to do it. You can disqualify yourself from being used by God because you don't know enough. Don't know enough of the Bible. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know Jesus loves you? Because that's enough. He can work with that. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Because he'll work with that. Sure, you can figure out lots more theology and learn more things, but there'll never be a time when you know enough. You're just putting it off. But do you know that you're loved? Or maybe this one, maybe I'm not experienced enough. Maybe I'm not old enough. Maybe I'm too young. Maybe I haven't kind of practiced. I haven't done this stuff before. This is all new to me, doing all this kind of God stuff. Hmm. Do you know that Jesus is with you? Because if he's with you, that's enough. You're never going to have enough experience. You're never going to wait until you've done it enough, enough times till it's no longer risky or tricky. But do you know Jesus is with you? And by the way, he is. Then that's enough. Maybe you're not holy enough. Maybe you're so aware of all that stuff inside. I'm not holy enough. The thing is, you're not. Dave was talking about it last week. You're not holy enough. But you know that Jesus makes you holy, not you. It's Jesus that makes you holy. And that's enough. He'll always forgive you. Always give you his grace. It's Jesus that makes you holy. Or maybe you're scared of failing and messing up. As I do this kind of God stuff, oh, I don't want it to go wrong again. Maybe I've failed in the past. Actually, you've already failed. Jesus dealt with that on the cross. You're in his team. He's picked you. You're already in. You're not standing there waiting in the playground to be picked. You're already picked. You're in. And that's enough. He's already picked you. Maybe you've been hurt in the past, trying to do kind of Christian things, stepping out in faith, sharing your faith with someone or praying for people. Maybe, maybe you've tried that before and it's just really not gone well. You've been hurt, it's been painful. Maybe family members or whatever it is. Do you know it was painful for Jesus to love you? Again, it shows you on the cross, but the moment you want to love, you, it's going to be painful. It's, it's the way of Jesus. If you avoid pain, you avoid love. You avoid loving if you're not going to recognize it's going to be painful. Jesus asks you to be brave. And if you can say yes to that, then that's enough. 
You see, it'd be easy to disqualify ourselves by saying, well, I'm weak, I'm not a great Christian, and I'll just leave it to the keenies. You know, those guys at the front with the hands in the worship and always have the right Bible verse to say. And You know, the ones that turn up early. The ones that always finish the message, bless you. You know those guys. I'm not like that. I don't think that's me. That's all right. God's saying to you, it's, he knows your weakness. But do you want to know his power? So I think there's an invitation for you this evening. An invitation to trust that God knows what he's doing. That he gets how it works. That there's an upside-downness that actually in your weakness, that is the place where God's power can move on your life. And maybe you've never thought of that before. Maybe you've just thought, I've always been disqualified because I'm not enough. Actually, are you able to have faith, take risk, step out in order to love? Don't wait to be powerful. Don't wait to get there. You never will be. And if you're not sure where to start, then actually go with what God goes for. Those who are hurting those in pain, those who are having a tricky time, those where just life isn't great, those that are vulnerable, those that are having a worse time than you. And they're out there, and it won't be difficult to find them. They'll be there this week, and people you know, whether they're next door, someone on the bus, person at work that no one likes, they're there. And actually, in your weakness, if you take those steps towards people and places. That's where you'll find the power of God because God is always wanting to move on loving people in a, in a Jesus-loving kind of way. So I'm just going to say a simple prayer and hand over to Dave and Becca. We're going to help us just to respond in this time. God, thank you that um, you know us. You know that we're yeah, we are weak, God. And yet that doesn't disqualify us from being loved by you or being used by you. And so, God, we want to pray now that actually there would be a, a work of your spirit on our lives again, that you would renew us and actually that you'd be calling people to step out and in doing so to, again, move in the power of your spirit. And so we... Um, yeah, I pray and ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.